Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today we're going to talk about male performance anxiety. But before I go further into this episode, I wanted to share with you guys that I recently added two amazing therapists to my private practice. These are people with very extensive training, kind of complementary to my training. And I'm very excited to have them join my practice. And now because of them, uh, we are able to offer later appointment times and they have few openings in their schedule that they can, they can see people immediately because I had a waiting list and it was hard to see people like it might used to take a couple of weeks, but right now we can accommodate more people. And generally these are great people. So if you're thinking about... Uh, receiving therapy, this might be a good opportunity for you. You can reach out to us and we can do a free consultation. And if me or any of my colleagues are a good fit, we would be happy to book an appointment for you. You can give us a call at 310-600-9912. And also you can find, if you want to just book an appointment, You can find a link to my calendar in the show notes. Uh, You can just click and see my openings. We don't have that system for other therapists, but if you want to book an appointment with me, you can certainly do that through that link. As I shared with you, today we're going to talk about performance anxiety and uh, we're going to talk about some of the contributing factors to these issues and what does the treatment usually look like and what can you do today to address 
this issue, if this is something that you're struggling with. My guest today is Melissa Novak. She's a licensed clinical social worker and certified sex therapist specializing in the treatment of sexual dysfunction, personality disorders, as well as depression and anxiety-related disorders. Melissa has a particular interest working with those struggling with sexual dysfunction and those concerned about some aspect of their sexual behavior. She serves as a secretary for board of directors of American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Melissa Novak. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Melissa Novak, licensed social worker on the show today. Melissa, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. You know, as as we mentioned during the introduction, we're going to talk about male performance anxiety. And this is one of those common presenting issues that I hear from people who are coming into my office. And I'm very excited that we're going to be able to kind of explore it and talk about different aspects of the treatment. Yeah, I mean, when I first started this working with men on performance anxiety was certainly not or was not a a you know definite focus of my practice and it kind of evolved into that because of my specialization in anxiety disorders and then sexual therapy and so it's really been a kind of uncovered passion for me and something that I've been working on now for almost 10 years so I'm happy to be here and talk about it. Wow. I'm sure within the uh, last 10 years, you've seen different variety of it. So I, I would be happy to talk about my experiences with clients. But what are some of the presentation of this disorder that you see with your clients? Typically, men are coming into my office with performance anxiety issues with a lot of self-doubt and high anxiety and obsessional thoughts about sex and their ability and whether or not they're, you know, pleasing their partners. Um, They often are high avoiders. So they aren't talking to their partners at all. They aren't also, or they are avoiding sexual interactions with other people because of this anxiety. They are usually reading a ton of information. I call I talk about uh, the Google MD, you know, people will typically, yeah, they'll Google all their greatest fears. So lots of clients will Google what penis size is the, the best penis size. And, you know, you can get a lot of things, but they never Google um, or, you know, large penis sizes, um, but they never typically Google satis- women that are satisfied with average size or smaller size, you know. And then an overestimation of risk around rejection. So a lot of them either overestimate how bad rejection is, and that's not to minimize that rejection is going to be really hurtful. I mean, I, I don't like being rejected. And at the same time, we all deal with it and we all can handle it. And so that may be a skill that we're going to work on in treatment. But really, they, they sort of envision themselves, you know, and the disappointment that their partner would feel and and the narrative and the story that they have built up is a pretty extensive one and a pretty sad one. So those are usually the common experiences. And then the final one is also 
an avoidance behavior, which is using drugs like alcohol or uh, Viagra in order to really feel better about their or, or avoid the anxiety around their sexuality or sexual activity. I certainly agree with you about multiple things that you said. First of all, with kind of people reading a lot and that at times, as you said, with Dr. Google, you get tons of junks. Like my client coming in, I ask them every like first session that, so what have you tried? And of course, this is an issue that I can understand as bothering them and they're not happy about it. And they tell me about this tons of supplement they've taken, this coaching yes, things that yes. they've been taken, this like not FDA approved medication they've been taken. And those yes. things are impacting our body as well. And just like very frustrating to hear that people are using the resources for things that's not necessarily research-based and shows that's, that's helpful. Yeah. I mean, the I've had several experiences where people are are taking lots of different uh, medications or supplements. And, you know, one, one person in particular said, you know, I feel amazing on this supplement. I'm taking this supplement. It is, it makes me feel stronger, better, more awake, more alert. You know, my muscles are bigger. My hair is thicker. My penis is bigger, you know, all of these things. And I was like, I mean, it sounds pretty great. Like if that's what you're, And he said, but I don't want to have to take this. And I said, you know, here's the deal. There's two options here. Either one, because I ended up doing some research on the the supplement and the supplement he was taking had other additives in it and that were, you know, making him feel this way, um, stimulants and things of that nature. And so it wasn't probably going to end up being very healthy for him. But the other option could be that this is a sort of placebo effect that when he takes this, it makes him feel better. And so we had to really have a a serious conversation about just what exactly my abilities would be. You know, I mean, I don't know many people that go around and they feel super strong all the time and super alert and awake and, you know, with big muscles and big penises all the time. I just, you know, I think that's a a pretty high bar to set for yourself all the time. But that's also the bar that our culture sets often. Right. And also, I think along the side with that information is helping people to kind of think about there are different kind of categories of material and supplement and medication and techniques out there. There are things that kind of can be not necessarily harmful, so they absolutely placebo effect, and I'm all for it. If if it's working for you, sure, right. <laughs> go for it. But there are like with many of this medication, as you said, they have tons of other things added to them, and they're not regulated. And I can see long term, it can impact their health and functioning. And those are the ones that I highly, highly recommend our listeners to kind of like do a little bit of research on that about like what are the effects of this and also who's supporting it. So for myself, I usually not necessarily taking thing unless it's been prescribed by my physician or it has a strong kind of research background in it. Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the things that I talked about with this particular person was we don't really know what's in here to be honest, and and they don't have to really disclose what's in there. So we know that there are lots of supplements that have really problematic substances. 
and that also aren't long-term great for you. So that's something that, you know, that was a risk that he had to evaluate. And, and it, in my mind, it was a serious one. And it was one that, you know, I probably wouldn't engage in, but that he, he would get to, you know, decide for himself. And that's, uh, he ended up actually deciding that, that that worked for him and that he was going to continue to do it. And he understood the risks. And, and that's kind of where he ended up, you know, settling on. Right. And I agree with you. I think the other piece of it is everyone, they have the right to make decisions for themselves. But I think Mm -hmm. it's just important, as you said, to be an informed consumer and doing the right research. Because for many of the marketing materials, if it's not, you know, backed by like, I don't know, a psychiatrist, physician or mental health provider, people can make all sorts of promises. And it's not Mm -hmm. necessarily that they have to show the data for it. But I want to kind of circle back to something that you said, I think so important about the cultural piece of it. So how do you see the cultural kind of understanding of maleness? Well, I mean, so there's kind of two points I have to make whenever I am talking about the cultural concepts around maleness. One, I'm a heterosexual, cisgendered, uh, white female. And that's going to really impact my lens. Uh, and while I do a lot of work to try to uh, address my biases and and understand how my lens is impacted, you know, that's a factor. And then also we're, we're talking a lot and, and I work a lot and primarily about cis men here. Uh, so and they're primarily heterosexual and they're primarily monogamous. I mean, that's at least what I'm talking about, because that's around a lot of my experience. And also the fact that trans men and penis owners that don't identify at, with any gender and, you know, non-monogamous or or any variety of sexual orientation, they have their own unique issues that they may encounter regarding performance anxiety. So some of the stuff we're going to be talking about is going to overlap and some of the points that I'm going to make will overlap, but not all of it. And so I just, I have to acknowledge that that may be something that either relates or doesn't relate to individuals um, and kind of my breakdown or understanding of some of these cultural factors. You know, and I'm also talking primarily about American men, men that have grown up in in an American culture and that, you know, but even across uh, in across the world, there are a lot of explicit and implicit messages and cultural messages around sex and sexuality. And I think a lot of it stems from the fact that men are they're sort of given the permission and also um, the responsibility of being uh, the sort of the sexual center of <laughs> interaction, you know, sex starts and ends with the penis and ejaculation. And in most movies, that's what we see in porn. We certainly see that. And, and part of that is because there is an actual thing that happens, you know, ejaculation happens. So we can see that actually happening, whether or not uh, women, women bodied individuals or women identified individuals experience orgasm is not always clear, right? Like we can certainly fake lots of orgasms and experiences, um, but we we typically cannot fake ejaculation. We see it. Although I will say that lots of porn uh, uses lots of things to to help 
make that, uh, I call porn the Olympic sport of sex. You know, they, <laughs> they do lots of enhancements and things to make it look the way it looks. And so because of the messages and what we see every day, um, and because sex seems to center around the, the penis, um, and particularly the heterosexual, usually white male, there, there is this flip side where they are responsible to know it all. And they are also the gatekeepers of pleasure for women. And I think that that is something that, you know, this is why if you're a guy, you've got to be a feminist too, because this is too much pressure on the penis. It's, it's just right. too much. And as most of the time when these guys are coming into my office, you know, I'm just astounded because they're usually, you know, attractive. They're usually uh, really decent human beings to their partners. And I think actually a lot of individual, a lot of women, um, who they're trying to attract really like them and they seem to just not be able to take in that information or, or believe it. And that's, that's kind of the flip side of this responsibility that it, it really starts to kind of hammer them down and make them feel insecure. And if you think about it, we have lots of jokes, we have lots of songs, movies depict this, you know, the punchline is always about something about dick size, which is just crazy, you know, public service announcement, please lay off the dick jokes, they're, <laughs> they're not helping anybody. And, and it's not, it's not grounded in anything factual. You know, there are plenty of large penises out there that are terrible lovers, and partners don't find them satisfying at all. And there are plenty of small -er penises that partners find to be really satisfying. So, you know, it, it doesn't start and stop. It doesn't have to start and stop with the penis. Well, I certainly agree with you that this idea of masculinity, at least, clients that I work with in the cultures that I've been exposed to, so I'm Iranian, as our listeners know, and I work in Los Angeles, a diverse area, but I certainly see that people's idea of masculinity, at least among many of my clients, kind of tied to their function of their penis. And it's not even mm -hmm. about sex. For example, at times I have couples that, you know, because of performance anxiety, at times the partner, the male partner has issues with maintaining the erection. And we talk about hosts of different options in the menu. It can be certainly right. more satisfying for both right. partners, but then we get still with that, people get stuck into, but I need to have this, right. this size of penis with this kind of firmness and erection. And if that's not there, then I'm, maybe I'm not man enough. Yes, yes. And so there, there, there really is this fixation on the penis that I'm not saying that heterosexual women don't love the penis. And at the same time, they don't quite have the, the same fixation on um, this is the pinnacle of my sexual pleasure. Or maybe they do. And part of that is because they, they were never really given permission or they were told these messages that, well, if your, your partner is a good enough lover, which often goes to the penis, then that means your partner will satisfy you. And I think it's really, to me, it's, it's, it's highlighted even more by the work that I do with non-monogamous and gay male individuals. They don't 
seem to have, they still have a whole host of their own anxieties and issues and, and um, challenges for sure. We all do. But at the same time, they are significantly more creative and about their uh, sexuality, you know, gay men in particular, they are, uh, the culture is really wonderful. I wish that um, straight couples would take a little bit from their playbook and be more upfront about their sexual interests, you know, on various websites, Grindr, you know, hookup sites like that, uh, and dating websites you know, gay men tend to be very upfront. This is what I like sexually. This is what I'm into. And so you have this conversation and then they also allow for a a variety of different experiences that may or may not require an erection. Um, And so there's a lower, it seems that there's a lower pressure in, in those relationships. And the same with my non-monogamous folks, whether they're uh, straight, gay, gender, or uh, sorry, queer in any sort of way. And, and that's something that I think, you know, heterosexual couples could really learn from is, is this creativity and the flexibility and also just the, the focus on pleasure and really enjoying themselves versus feeling very rigid. It must, you know, be the penis in the vagina. (laughs) That has to happen. Right. And I feel with, uh, as as you mentioned, although I have a number of female clients that they have, they have a better understanding, okay, the sexual experience and having a satisfying sexual experience is not necessarily, might not come from like all from intercourse. But it's funny because at times I see some of my female partners kind of getting, feeling rejected, saying that Mm. if he's not Mm. having a strong or firm erection, then I'm not attractive enough. So there's something about me and that can be definitely play into the dynamic. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, women are taught, uh, particularly heterosexual women are taught that our worth and value, safety and security within a relationship is, you know, hedges on the desirability by our partner. And the indicator of that is sex, sexual interest and sexual arousal. And it's, it's really unfortunate because it, it doesn't allow you know, a lot of the men that I see have, you know, full-time jobs and they have more egalitarian households. So they're sharing more of the labor and they are dealing with their own mental health issues and struggles and insecurities. And so we really don't allow in our culture for that to matter. You know, sex is supposed to be in particularly an erection and a penis you know, men are supposed to kind of want one thing and one thing only. And it, it really makes them such one dimensional partners, right? But those are the messages that we have continued to receive uh, throughout usually our upbringing in our lives. And, and it, it does a disservice to, to both of us that uh, the penis sometimes, ha- or that the, the penis has to be the barometer for the desirability or interest or love of the relationship. Right. So certainly culture, as we talked about it, plays an also understanding of maleness and this, unfortunately, at times rigid labels of what what is a good enough sex look like can impact people 
kind of sexual experiences and might lead to some anxiety. But what what are some of other causes of male performance anxiety that you've noticed? Hmm. I mean, I definitely think, I, I guess this still kind of goes back to some of the cultural pieces that are in place. But for any of my clients that are people of color, you know, the focus on kind of the idealized white male partner and so body image issues around that, just feeling really insecure and body image issues around not feeling like anybody meets the ideal of a super, you know, muscular type of person. I think those can be challenges. I also think some of the challenges around whether or not individuals are, uh, you know, whether or not men are having lots of casual sex, how much sex they're having, you know, that tends to be something that a lot of my guys worry about, you know, well, I'm supposed to have a one night stand. And one of my clients, we just had a, a really honest conversation about whether or not one, one night stands were actually going to be good for him to have, you know, he, he's very insecure, he feels rejected very easily. And a one night stand where the person gets up and leaves after and they don't communicate again is really anxiety provoking. And often he is going to interpret it as he wasn't good enough, whether or not that's actually the case, right? The, the whole point of the one night stand right. is that you go. And so we talked about, you know, you can do that. You can certainly have your one night stand with the idea that you're going to acknowledge that this anxiety is inevitable and that you're going to try to figure out ways that you're just going to have to tolerate that. Right. And he, he realized that actually he doesn't really want a one night stand. Um, now some of my clients really do and they enjoy them and that they're great, but that he actually doesn't enjoy them at all, that they're more of the status for him, that something he gets to tell his buddies about and feel like he's part of the crowd a little bit more. I don't know if that completely answered your question. I'm trying to think of, of other things. Do you have other ideas? No, yeah, of course. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about my clients that like part of this anxiety comes from not having a good sex education, kind of mm -hmm. having this expectation mm -hmm. as you were talking about in the moment, like two minutes into like foreplay, I need to have this hard erection, like how it is like porn, as you mentioned. Right. That porn right. is a production. I'm not against porn, but it's like, you know, if I'm getting ideas for my healthy marriage from a, a rom-com, which is right. so not true. So again, part right. of it is knowing what day-to-day -day sex look like for almost 95% of population and having a realistic expectation about it. It's important. Right. I mean, yeah, if your if your education is coming from Google searches and porn or you know, your friends, you're, you're really missing the boat. Uh your education should be coming from reputable sources, should be coming from your partner in particular. I I just I it never fails that usually people that have a lot of these anxieties or women that have those their own insecurities, it it never fails how little that couple is actually talking about what they want, what they need, what they're fearful of. Um, and that's a huge part of our work often. I also like to remind, 
you know, a lot of my hetero men that are porn watchers that, you know, two women can have a really great time without any sort of penis. And, you know, two cis women. And, you know, that really, sometimes that really helps them. That really resonates because they're like, yes, I have seen two cis women having a wonderful time. And they realize like, oh, wait, I'm not. That is really hot when that's happening. And I really enjoy watching that. And, you know, again, whether or not it's actually, you know, accurate or not, that we can discuss at a later date, but but just sort of realizing the bias that we have there. Oh, great, great reminder. Because again, as, as you said, at times people get stuck in the idea of the sex need to be kind of with vagina and a penis mm-hmm. and penetration, and that's the only way it is. So I want to make sure we're talking a little bit about treatment as well, because I'm sure many of our listeners are curious about, is it something that's treatable? What does treatment usually look like for this kind of challenges? So if we're talking about a low grade worry, you know, I would say asking yourself, are you consuming a variety of information that is reputable? So are you going to, you know, there's the wonderful book that that's, I think, probably geared towards a lot of white heterosexual men, but it's, it's really wonderful. Paul Joinitis is Dr. Paul Joinitis is uh, the guide to getting it on. You know, that that is, yeah, it's available in all these languages, you know, (laughs) like, you know, I have um, some clients that have a, a native language. They don't read very well in English as their second language. And so they were there, we're able to find this book in their, their language, which is really helpful. And, you know, reading about what are aspects uh, that you can do, what are, what are some other things? Are you being adventurous? Are you thinking outside of the box? And, you know, thinking about how could you have sexual activity without your penis at all? Like if we, if you can do that a couple times, like I, I think, and practice that and see what that's like for you and your partner and talking about it. And if you can talk to your partner, if you can have a sit down conversation without it blowing up or, or getting, uh, you know, being shut down in some way, then I think do all of those things. Most likely many people, anxiety, once it starts, it feeds into itself and it creates behaviors that actually exacerbate it. Because what happens is, is that in the short term, the behaviors we do to try to protect ourselves or reduce our anxiety actually long term increase the anxiety. And so uh, what then I recommend doing if you're finding yourself being really avoidant, uh, not communicating with your partner, looking up information that is just stressing you out more, making you more uncomfortable, you know. Um, thinking about how you're digesting information. So our brains typically seek a confirmation bias, which means we will always read exactly uh, what we want to hear. We're learning that a lot, even with our politics today. And, you know, one of my clients would find these websites and he would send them to me and he would say, look, look, this just shows, it proves that women just have to have really big, uh, you know, penises and when I actually read them, I found several discrepancies there that, that yes, um, there was a study done that uh, women were given sort of um, 
these 3D printouts of different size phallic shapes. And they were asked for a one night stand, what size penis would you want? And for a, you know, long-term relationship, what size penis would you want? And, you know, what he heard was, see, all the women wanted the bigger penis, right? But what we actually, when we read the study, or when I read the study, what it said was, um, for one night stands, there was an increased interest in a larger, the larger phallic size. And for long-term relationships, actually, there it was for a, I don't know, average or, or medium size, right? It wasn't, it wasn't huge and it wasn't uh, the smallest option. And so, you know, I thought this is actually great for you that, that like you don't want one night stands and that's great because women don't need super huge penises for one night stands, you know, but what he read was, is see, they're going to be dissatisfied with me. And, you know, that, that sort of confirmation bias, you really need a knowledgeable professional typically that's going to be like, well, wait a second here. How are we, how are we actually digesting this information? And what do, what do we want to do about it? Right. And I love that you're talking about like, you know, how he thought it said kind of like people wanting one night stand and a female choosing the bigger size penis is, was mm -hmm. discouraging for him, although he wasn't interested in uh, right. one night stands. And I think like part of our challenges with sexuality comes from the script that we have that what what do we uh, what we have to like right and if you want to be a healthy like yeah. male you got to be into having lots of casual sex but that's not right. a good recipe for many men and females so it's important to kind of challenge the scripts that you have and i love that he had this uh, strong rapport with you that he shared those emotions and uh, hesitations and the study with you yeah yeah oh i always I, most of my patients will give me articles to, to show that I'm wrong. <laughs> and, and I have to sometimes remind them that, you know, I am your therapist, but I'm also a woman that, you know, is heterosexually married to men. I have dated men and I know lots of heterosexual women that have dated men. And, you know, the idea that the idea that like, I, I wouldn't know what, and I certainly don't know what all women want, but I don't know at all what women want is, is pretty interesting, particularly because most of these men have not asked women, you know, and their partners. And it's so, it's such a variety. And we talk about that, that, you know, lots of women want lots of different things. And, you know, are, are you asking these questions? And usually it's, no, I'm just talking to my guys and we're, we're determining what, <laughs> what right. that is. Right. And I think the other piece that you mentioned earlier, which is so important is avoidance piece. So yeah. one issue that I see that, you know, everyone, I can, I can pretty much, I know kind of generalization, but at least most people above age 25 male who has penises and usually I'm talking about cisgender is that they at times they have issues with getting erection, maintaining erection. So it's normal at times to have that challenges. But if we feel that, okay, I had this experience once, now I'm super scared that I'm not going to give it a try. I'm not going to be kind of be able to 
Next, um, pay attention to what's going on, the sexual stimuli and what's in my environment, then it can become a chronic issue. But again, it's normal at times for people to feel a little bit of anxiety when they're going into kind of different sexual situation. Of course, of course. And it's normal to have a variety of your bodily responses. I mean, I, you know, I, I try to remind people like, what piece of machinery do you own? that you use every single day that doesn't ever break down or feel sluggish or have an issue that you, that you know until the day you die like i mean that's our bodies like we we have these amazing bodies that do amazing things and yet we treat them as though there is no room for a variety of experiences. And we would never put that same pressure on a car, on a computer, you know, on anything, right? I mean, I'm not saying we don't get frustrated when those things, you know, break down or struggle, but not nearly the same as when your body does. And I I get that there's a lot of reasons for that, but I, I don't think people really think about and appreciate just exactly what we ask our bodies and demand of our bodies on a daily basis. So for those of our listeners that they kind of tuning in this moment and they, they think, okay, this is an issue that I have, what, are, what would be the f- good first step that you recommend them to take? The good first step, I think, you know, first talk to your partner. I think that's probably, if you're partnered, talk to your partner. And if you can't do that, then to me, come check in with a professional. We are here to help. We're here to help make you feel a little bit better. And I think also, you know, again, asking yourself, what am I consuming? Like what, what is the information that I'm looking at? So, you know, and what are my expectations really? You know, that's one of the first questions I ask people is, you know, they're like, I'm worried I'm not, I'm not going long enough. You know, I I'm coming too soon. And, and so I talk to them about, well, what, you know, why after you come, do you, do you stop? Like, can we, can we one keep going? Like, can you do other things? Right. And how long is your, are you expecting to go? And and many people will say, well, I want to go for, for 30 minutes. And there are not many orifices on our bodies that can take you know, a solid, like consistent pounding <laughs> in, the, <laughs> right. in the way that they, they want. And, and if you watch porn, you know, I talked to them about, great, watch porn, know that those shoots are about eight hours, know that a lot of the women are icing afterwards and taking Epsom salts baths afterwards to, to heal their bodies. Um, but also really watch and notice how after about five, maybe 10 minutes, they're switching. They're moving positions. They're moving to a different partner, right? No one has, um, or it's very, at least rare in, in porn to see a very just one, because it's not much fun to watch, just kind of pistoning in and out for 30 minutes, right? But two, because a lot of the orifices can't take that long. Like it only goes for so long, right? And Absolutely. so those are kind of the, I think maybe the first things that I would, I would think about. And if you're having trouble and if you're thinking that I'm crazy in what I'm saying right now, that's all of your anxiety coming up. And that's a good indication that, 
that you need a little help with that because your brain is, you know, really invested in this story of uh, worry and insecurity and uh, avoidance. And that is, that is really hard to handle, I think, on your own because it's, it's exhausting and it's tiring already to be dealing with that, but then to have to challenge that in a way, it's hard to kind of step outside of that. Usually we all need, when we're feeling really anxious, somebody else to kind of come in and be like, hey, it's going to be okay, you know? And performance anxiety and sexual anxiety is no different. I love all of these recommendations. They are so accurate. And I think it's just important for people, if you're feeling stuck, if you've been kind of like going in the same loop, ask mm-hmm. for help because you know with sexual challenges one of those things that i have people coming maybe for a few sessions saying okay is this common is this is an issue should i be worried about it so even if you're talking you know if you're checking in with a therapist or your physician can be saving you lots of worry and time and energy so i definitely agree with you melissa we're toward the end of our time but i want to make sure that our listeners know uh how they can get a hold of you yeah so you're more than welcome to visit my website and learn about me and my practice, MN Therapies. Therapies is plural. Also, you can Google Chicago Sex Therapist, and I should be listed usually within the first couple pages. And yeah, I mean, my only, my last comment for your listeners is put pleasure at the focus. You know, just most of my guys actually, when they really break down what their ultimate goal is, it's, I, I want to feel really good and I want my partner to feel really good. And if we think about that being the ultimate goal, then we can get really creative about what all that entails. All right. Thank you for sharing all these Pearl of Wisdoms. And it was wonderful to have you. Thank you for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Melissa. As I shared with you guys during the episode, this is what the male performance anxiety is. One of the common things that we hear in our practice that people are struggling with. And if you're working with skilled therapists, it's one of the easier sexual dysfunctions that you can absolutely treat and take care of it. So it doesn't necessarily need to impact your self-image. One thing I wanted to share with you at the end is this is episode 96. I'm preparing a special episode for episode 100 and I would love to feature you in the show. So if you if you learned the sex tip from us that you liked or you have feedback for us, just head over to our website, sexologypodcast.com and record your voice and your feedback and comment there and we'll feature you in the show, episode 100. I can't wait to celebrate with you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.